Hello, and welcome to the History Voyager, a podcast about history. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very much for listening to mine. I have a friend who told me something the other day, and I think this is totally true. What if we're looking at the end of certainty? There was a highly advanced culture that existed in this country that to some extent, to a large, large extent, for an awful lot of people, still exists in this country. But it depends on certainty. It depends on certain things happening in certain places in people's lives. And her point, and I totally agree with this, is that that's just not going to happen anymore. And we haven't really had that. And there's all these people that really don't understand the concept of things are just going to be uncertain for a while. And if you think about it, if you think of our culture, the American culture or the Western culture, I guess you'd want to call it, as kind of like a stock market, we've been on a rise. We've been on a civilizational rise now for, you know, quite a while, you know. But suddenly it's like we hit a dip. As, as a culture, not in the stock market, not in the economy, but I'm talking about in the culture. Suddenly, we just hit a dip. And, you know, oh my God, what are we going to do? And there's all these people that basically planned their lives as though this dip would never happen. And suddenly, they're confronted by the fact that it's going to happen. And in fact, for a lot of people, it's already here. You know, there's 30-something million people unemployed. We've never had, in a modern economy, 30-something million people eligible to file for unemployment. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't actually really know the mechanics of coming back. But this was her point, that there's a lot of people lashing out, essentially because the end of certainty, or the end of certainty of a certain way of life, is essentially over. And that's a thought I'd had. It's like, you don't really think of what we did as a way of life, the way, say, the Native Americans used to hunt and gather, and then the colonists came. You know, you don't really think of our situation, basically, as a way of life on that order or to that extent but I really thought about it and it actually is and I thought yeah I mean okay I believe the economy is going to reboot to some degree or other I totally believe the economy is going to reboot and now that we're opening up the country it's going to reboot to a greater extent and I think there's a whole lot of older people out there or a whole lot of people that remember the Hong Kong flu in the 60s who sort of kind of think or hope, I think it's a lot of hoping, that this is like the Hong Kong flu in the 1960s. And then you kind of think, well, okay, but what if it's not? And that's what she's talking about, the end of certainty, the end of, you know, if I do this, this will happen and then everything will be fine. The end of thinking, where am I going to go, you know, in a year? And I'll tell you, it even extends down to the mundane. 
The other thing she talked about, and this, I kind of see it. I think there was another thing about American, the American way of life, which I think came under fire for a couple of months, and I think a lot of people didn't like that. I think, well, let me say it like this. I remember, God, I guess about uh, 15 years ago, going to a game and the stock market had dipped. I mean, it was a pretty substantial dip, actually. I don't remember the exact day or what the amount was, but I do remember there was a huge dip in the stock market. And I went to a hockey game with my dad. And the only reason I really remember this particular hockey game is because I, when the National Anthem played, people started booing. And it was amazing. You had 15,000 people, at least, booing the National Anthem. It was, it was amazing. It was, I've ne I'd never heard anything like it. And I think what this coronavirus and what some of the people's reaction to it has shown us is there's an awful lot of people in this country that honestly believe that shopping is somewhere in the Constitution. Somewhere in the Constitution, these people actually think that they have the right to go shopping. They have the right to go out and buy a latte. They have this untrammeled right to, to go do all this stuff. And I think, you know, I know, actually, because I've studied this a lot, that that sort of dovetails into the idea that generally people think what whatever they want to do or whatever they like about what they call the American way of life, they generally see that as constitutional. So they generally came to see the fact that, you know, the basically the country or the open up movement. And to be clear, I don't think it was a lot of people, but the open up movement essentially was saying, hey, we have the right to go out and go shopping. And it was as though for, for some of us, for, for me, uh, who's been doing this podcast on the Spanish flu and all of my friends who are in the medicine have medical jobs. Um, we were just kind of looking at this like, oh my God, these people don't understand. Like they, we, we've lived in this world where everything was so certain and that you, you just knew that this wasn't, you know, that there was, you weren't going to be felled by some invisible enemy, right? Which is a good way to think about this, what they call the novel coronavirus, is it's a brand new invisible enemy. I mean, and the thing about being new is that nobody knows. The experts don't know what's going to happen. And so, you know, flattening the curve was supposed to basically buy the medical authorities time. Well, then you see the open up. You know, Georgia opens up. I live in Georgia. Georgia opens up. And the Washington Post did a story the other day where they went to Avalon, which is a, I guess you want to call it a live-work-play place over there north of Atlanta. It's a very affluent suburb. Some of those people, 
had some very um, coded messaging, I think, coded language. There was one person that flat out said, well, I'm not part of the demographic that gets this. And, you know, I knew immediately that was code for he's not black or he's not Latino. You know, and that's not being black or Latino is not an indicator of getting coronavirus. It's an indicator of having a job that gets you around coronavirus. Right. So he's saying, well, I'm not one of the poor people that are going to have to work and be exposed to coronavirus. Therefore, I can go out and shop. But then the thing that, that got me the most was he was young. Okay, He was young enough to be stupid. But there was this older woman who said something to the effect of, well, you have to live life, and, and this is just part of living life. And I immediately zoomed into what my friend said, that there's just some people that, honest to God, think that life for them is either buying or selling things. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing that I didn't believe that. And then it took me to read that exact quote to see exactly what she was talking about. But, I mean, the woman actually, without knowing my friend, presumably, I would presume, uh, without knowing my friend, she immediately essentially said what my friend was saying, that there's people out there that really genuinely see that life, their purpose for life is buying and selling stuff is either buying something or selling something to somebody else, that this is what people see their life as. And for an awful lot of Americans, I guess they do see that. But the thing that I think the, the real struggle, I guess, if you want to say struggle, that Americans are having with the coronavirus, and I'm an American, so I don't know if Europeans are having this struggle or not, but so... I would guess, is this idea of, you know, there was a certainty in life. There was a certainty that this was what was going to happen in my life. And now, essentially, I mean, it's not gone all the way, but it's, it's certainly to the point where I can certainly see where, you know, that's not going to be the same anymore. You know. And the thing that strikes me about Avalon in the New York, in the Washington Post story, I'm sorry. The thing that strikes me about Avalon in the Washington Post story is that it doesn't actually sell, like, what anybody would consider an essential item, or at least, you know, a, the, I guess the most essential item it sells would be an iPhone. And that's, you know, phones are essential. But it strikes me that this is essentially, it's catered for the, I guess the the super wealthy of Metro Atlanta and it strikes me that what none of these people seem to think about isn't them going to these places it's the workers that have to go because they're going or it's their children or it's their uncles and aunts or whoever and it's just amazing and here's the thing that I think is, is the most amazing about it. And that is, quite honestly, that a lot of these stores have a self, like, you know, if you have any symptoms, please don't come in. 
Well, I got news for you. If somebody had symptoms and they're there, they're not going to be the kind of person that's not going to come in. But here's the thing, and I think this bears, you know, repeating again and again. I don't think this is truly a lot of people that think this. I really don't. I think most people are scared and they're ready, willing, and able to stay right where they are as much as possible. I'm sure there's some people that need to go out and go to work that don't really want to be doing that, and I understand that. But I think that social media or the age of social media and also the age of packaging ideas along one, you know, one party line or another is what led to this. Actually, I think it's what led to Trump. For years and years, and even still today, we were exposed to a media diet which packaged concepts or ideas around one or the other parties. And you would even see it in the shorthand. You would see it as like, from the right, you know, Joe Schmo from the right, or Bob Schmo with conservative ideas, or, or so on and so forth. And I think, you know, there were other places that saw they needed to be the alternative of that. So they set up as being the liberal voices or whatever. And I think we've backed ourselves into a corner. I think we've backed ourselves into a corner with this virus and also with other ideas. You know, to paraphrase Neil deGrasse Tyson, the virus doesn't care who you vote for. And I think that a lot of underlying assumptions are that, you know, I'm not going to get the virus because... Because, to quote that fellow from the Washington Post piece, I'm not in that demographic. Well, first of all, that's mistaken. I mean, the virus doesn't care if you're black or Latino. It cares that you've been exposed to it. And, you know, right now, so we think, we've engineered a way for certain people of certain economic groups to be, you know, not exposed to it. But, you know, years ago, back in the 70s or early 80s, the, the uh, great thinker James Burke warned us of this, you know, of this exact conundrum. He talked about how computers, now mind you, this was back in the day when the personal computer was essentially a gleam in Steve Jobs' eye at this point. But he said the personal computer was coming and that eventually, you know, offices of the world would figure out a way to work from home. And then he ran through in about 15 or 20 minutes the entire, you know, this entire litany of problems that he saw that resulted from that. And he's right. He talked about you know, back in the early 80s or late 70s, he talked about people needing to get out and people, you know, that this would test the marriage and that this would test relationships and all this. And he's absolutely right. That it turns out that we built our marriages and our relationships, and a lot of, a lot of that, or a lot of people did, with the idea that they could always go out and hang out with their buddies. And I think a lot of people of a certain demographic are deeply resenting the fact that they can't go out because perhaps like 
other people, but these people could do that. They could go out with their friends. And I also think that this virus is causing us, it's causing me, for example, to, uh, to essentially to reassess the idea of living alone in an apartment. I bet a lot of people are, are rethinking that as we speak. You know, why did I decide to back myself into this corner where I needed to live in this apartment by myself? I mean, there's a lot of urban places. I used to live in one that organized itself around the idea that you could go outside and they call it live, work, play, right? So you could live there, you could work there, and then you could play or socialize there, as the case may be. And now this virus is, has, for the time, locked everybody down. Well, okay, here's chapter two, and chapter two hasn't even happened yet. These people, these open up people, this liberty movement, I think it calls itself, this is the minority. Everybody knows that. This is the minority. The vast majority of humans are not going to run out to the store. Or not, they're not going to run out to the bars anymore. They're not, you know, they're not going to run out to wherever. I, have, I had a friend of mine who, was a, who is a restaurateur who told me point blank, he said, one of the biggest problems we have with this virus is the bathrooms. And I think I've covered this before in other podcasts, but essentially what he was talking about is he was talking about the idea, or the, the now the thought, that this virus is spread through the smell of human waste going up into your nose. And lots and lots of people know that, specifically lots and lots of people who go to his type of bars and restaurants, and they're thinking, I don't want to go out and, and do all that. And they're going to work from home and, and do that, and, you know, but they're not going to go to the bars. And he knows that, and he's very worried. And there was another fellow I talked to, and he was a, owned a bar in town. And he said, I can only do this one time. I can only open up one time. I can't close down and then open up again. I just don't have that kind of money. And I think, I honestly think a lot of these open up people, at least that I see, are acting out and I wonder I honestly wonder if shopping and, and basically socializing with casual friends was had something like a an effect of closing a hole in their lives and now they're sitting at home and they can't close that hole anymore I don't know it makes you really appreciate what you have that's what this virus has done for me, is it's made me appreciate what I have. And there's another thing that I think this virus has, has woken me up to that, you know, and I use social media to, to boost this podcast, is that when I went back on Facebook, what I noticed was it became even more, you know, I'm pro, I'm on the red team, or I'm on the blue team, 
than it was when I left. And I tell you, that's uh, that's not really a way to live a life. It's not a way to organize any kind of a life. And I just remember my dad when the internet was new. My dad, when the internet was brand new, said that he thought the internet was basically not healthy emotionally. It was not something good for emotional health. I remember that, and I've remembered that ever since. And now what, what I'm seeing on social media, I kind of almost agree with him that I wonder if, you know, we're seeing Facebook is showing us the, the darker sides of people. And I wonder if that's healthy. I, I wonder if Facebook has outlived its, its healthy, its healthful, um, I guess its healthful use in our society. If it's no longer healthy as a society for us to have this. I mean, setting aside the privacy concerns alone, which are very substantial. You know, the privacy concerns around Facebook are very, very substantial, as they are with all this social media stuff. But, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has shown us again and again that he does not have our privacy or any of that in the front of his mind or any, anywhere on his plate when he makes a business decision. And, you know, I hear what you're saying. You're, you're, you're saying, well, you don't have to join Facebook. And you're right. I don't, except I'm not necessarily thinking about me. I'm thinking about everybody else. And I suppose that's the point. And I guess that's really the point I want to leave uh, with you today is the fact that I think, you know, our country has basically bought in or a certain demographic of our country has essentially bought into the idea that it doesn't have to think about other people. And they get mad when the government even decides to make them think about other people. And, you know, I'm not one of these people that believes that history is going to go one way or the other as an inevitability. I, I certainly don't think that. But what I do think is that it, this virus is showing us the American character. It's showing, it's holding up to a mirror. It's holding a mirror up to us, and, and we're seeing, basically, this is who we are. And yeah, I think most people are sitting at home, and most people are, are if they're not sitting at home, they're being very, very careful. But I think that a lot of people aren't, and I think, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But I think we're going to, not we, but other people. Because one thing I've learned about the pandemic is that the record is not written on the pandemic of, of whatever the pandemic is. The record is not written on the pandemic for decades and decades after. So I think there's going to be people who aren't even born yet that are going to be remembering these people, that are going to be thinking about this 
and what's going on now and what's going to go on in the next couple of months. And I wonder if those people in that shopping center in Alpharetta, I wonder if they knew that, if they had thought about that, what their great-grandchildren would think about them for doing this. I wonder what they would, how they would have responded. Probably most of them probably wouldn't have changed anything. But maybe a couple of them would. But see, you know, I guess they had to go out and get an iPhone and an iced coffee because they can't make iced coffee at home. Because if you make iced coffee at home, that's not really living after all. The only way to live is to have iced coffee out from your house. All right. Okay. Anyway, this has been this episode of the History Voyager. I guess if you haven't already guessed, you need to situate this in with the COVID-19 diatribe that I do. Um, okay. So I'm situating that in with the COVID-19 diatribe. Um, you can follow me at Ben's Charlie on Twitter. I'm also at Ben Kitching's Podcaster on Instagram. Um, the music you're about to hear is courtesy of Andrew Vickery. He's a friend of mine for years. Anyway, be sure to hit him up. I'll leave a I'll leave a link in the show notes. All right. Have a nice le- have a nice day and see you next time. <laughs>